Well, good evening. It's time to get this thing started. You guys enjoy this beautiful day? Enjoying those white trees and forsythias and uh, all the great beauty that uh, that we have. And uh, how about your allergies? How are they doing? Everybody have a sweater, a little jacket tonight? Okay. And Barb's not here. I take it you guys must have opened it up tonight for us. So thank, thank you. Is she sick? Ooh. She's having a hard time. I might want to kind of keep her in prayer. Oh, really? Mm, yeah, she was diagnosed with uh, all sorts of uh, knee torn ligaments in her knee also. MRI from last week. Boy, she's having a time. Yeah. Well, okay. Anyway, thanks for uh, getting it open for us and... We get to meet again for another Monday night, get around God's Word. We are in uh, Genesis 4, and uh, we have two families, uh, two civilizations, or two societies, however you want to term it, and it's in the earliest years of um, the Earth's history. So you have two humanities, and each one of them are opposed to each other, like uh, on the opposite ends of the pole. So one is ungodly and the other is godly. And we'll see that in this uh, section starting at verse 17. Uh, you guys are probably familiar with Augustine, uh, wrote The City of God. Uh, it's about the history of two groups of people, really. It's called, you know, you think of two cities, two cities formed by two loves. Uh, one love is love of self. That's really what it boils down to. And then the other one is love of God. So you're in one city or the other. And that's uh, what we'll see in this, this line here. If you think of that city there, in that sense, two cities, uh, the origin of the cities is found really where Adam and Eve fell <laughs> at the fall, and it's been that way ever since. There's been a conflict, and it involves uh, holy angels and fallen angels and believers and unbelievers and believers and fallen angels and all sorts of battles going on, struggle. And uh, when we when we start this chapter 4 uh, section where we're at, you see this uh, humanistic culture, and it definitely is humanism. It's pride-centered. Uh, it's all about man, and it lost its concept of who God was. And you can see that uh, just goes right on down, down the line, and you see that sin is manifested. Um, that's, that's the nature of mankind. And uh, as, as man multiplies in numbers, so the sin seems to multiply uh, Francis Schaeffer uh, wrote a book called How Should We Then Live? It goes way back into the 70s. Some of you guys might remember that one. And uh, he takes some of the philosophers and uh, kind of uh, tells where we're at, you know, how things have arrived. There was uh, Descartes, Rene Descartes, the French philosopher. And it, he was focused on himself. Self. Self, himself. Self-awareness. He was surely aware of himself. And he said this famous statement, I think, therefore, I am. <laughs> that was him. Uh, then there was Rousseau. After him, you had Immanuel Kant. Uh, split the knowledge and the knowledge of ideals into two parts. Then you had Hegel, who uh, relativized all truth and knowledge. And that sounds familiar today, doesn't it? Everything is relative. It depends on how you want to uh, take into it. Then you had Soren Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard really was saying that, hey, there is this leap of faith, and that's the only way that you can know this transcendent. So all these uh, means were really uh, increasingly as a whole, as, as worldwide, just slipping out of the reach 
of who God was, and eventually uh, they make him non-existent. And I, I really think, as a whole, that's what cultures have always done. There's a process. You can term it in philosophies all you want, but man is man. Nothing really ever new. Uh, this godless culture that we're in today, uh, we know that it starts with man. It's all about man. Everything is man. That's humanism, secular humanism. And the godly begin uh, begin to realize, in uh, like in chapter 4, that they were to call upon the Lord and worship God. Uh, so, the culture that we live in, that we're familiar with, in the church culture, if it's based on the Word of God, is really about God. begins with God. Everything's God-centered. It's supposed to be that way in our lives. Everything that we look at. So as we look at this section, you have a, a really a broad sweep of society or, or the cultures, the civilizations that went. And this is before the flood in, in chapter 4 and chapter 5. And that's why we call this the antediluvian civilization. That's what we're naming this. That just is a simple... Uh, we'll make it simply to say before the flood civilization. There was a civilization. And it's pretty incredible. I think it's very interesting. Matter of fact, I think this is an important, a very important section as we look at this tonight because it's really the only information that we have of anything that was going on before the flood. Now, after the flood, you have, in archaeology, you have a lot of discoveries that have been made. You have fossils. You know, they're still finding those, and and that can date way back. But this information that we have here, this is the information that the world has to their disposal. And if only they would believe it. But uh, this is all a fairy tale. It's not really truth to uh, the unbelieving world. Um, things were probably a lot different in the pre-flood. We know before the fall, things were totally different, and we know everything was affected. But can you imagine how many things were affected after the flood? Uh, when you think of before the flood, people were still living hundreds of years, eight, nine hundred years. Uh, they were having children uh, after they were hundreds of years old. And so this uh, society grew in, in huge numbers. You had people who were very brilliant. When you look in this text, even though there's not a lot here, you can get a lot of information from it because these people were very creative. They had creative minds and, and, and the things that they invented. And then you look at the skills that they had. And uh, I tend to think they were probably stronger people. They were probably healthier people. Um, and who knows how many people there were we don't know we could guess we could be a few million few billion off but uh, I will say if people are living into the hundreds of years old still having children and they multiply and if you have at least two three four maybe five kids and if you're an agrarian society which they they had at that time you need a, a lot of children to take care of it and so let's say they had four or five people. It's possible there there could have been, and I don't want to press it, it doesn't matter, could have been as many as um, quite a few million people, seven, eight million, and then some estimated to go up to seven to ten billion people. I don't know about that. doesn't matter. But it's interesting. There had to be a pretty good population before that flood happened. And we know that everybody was destroyed except for eight people. 
out of all those millions. Some of them, many had died before that time, but uh, and many godly people had died before that. But uh, anyway, um, it's sad because you look at this chapter also, even with all the skills that they have and the intellect and the inventions they had. Uh, they were, uh, as a whole, the, God, uh, the ungodly line was so wicked that God had to wind up destroying this earth as we knew it, as we know it. Man was depraved. Man had been depraved all the way back to when Adam and Eve fell, and He demonstrated it for hundreds uh, uh, and, and uh, of years, uh, thousand, you know, sixteen hundred years, uh, something like that, as sin just abounded. So anyway, that uh, that takes us up to uh, where we're going to start at verse 17. Let's uh, let's have a prayer with the Lord. Father, we thank you for this day and the beauty of your creation. And we've seen colors come out and it reminds us of uh, new things, uh, new springtime. Always uh, brings an excitement and uh, reminds us of uh, new life and, of course, new life um, in the spiritual manner is something that we thank you for. Uh, You have given us new life. You've made us born again and given us a desire to know you and pursue you. And we thank you for your word and your Holy Spirit again. And we realize that uh, without you, Lord, we could never understand and, and even know the things that happened thousands of years before us. And thank you for revealing that to us. And may uh, it be beneficial to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read verse 17 and on through the rest of the chapter. Uh, We've talked about Cain and uh, he has been taken out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, which is the land of wandering. We talked about that last week, east of Eden. Then, 17 says, Cain had relations with his wife, and she conceived, gave birth to Enoch, and he built a city, and called the name of the city Enoch, after the name of his son. Now to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad became the father of Mahujael, and Mahujael became the father of Methushael, and Methushael became the father of Lamech. Lamech took to himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other is Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. And as for Zillah, she also gave birth to Tubal, Cain, the forger of all implements of bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal, Cain, was Namah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to my voice. You wives of Lamech, give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Adam had relations with his wife again. She gave birth to a son and named him Seth, for she said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth, to him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. I like the last sentence of this chapter. There is hope. (laughs) Um, 
we get into starting off with Cain, which is where we were dealing with last week. After he came to Nod, the the uh, he was the wanderer, and he's in the land of wandering. He started interesting to note here, building a city. Now, he's supposed to wander, but he's building a city. That's interesting. By the way, it a lot of your translations like mine will say built a city. But in the Hebrew, it's really uh, it's not as something that is necessarily something that he he started and, and did it and then he finished it. Uh, he was building a city is in the proper Hebrew, from what I understand, and that implies something. He might not have finished it, uh, and I'll get to that in a moment. This first line from 17 through 24 is that ungodly line. Now, you'll see some names in here. He said, well, Enoch is in there, and Enoch was a good guy. Well, we'll see another Enoch in chapter 5. They had names that they repeated too, just like, you know, there are a lot of non-doors that live in Jeff City, I'm sure, and, and Miklosh's. I mean, you know those all over the place, right? Uh, better use a better illustration. There, Michael. You know, there's a few Michaels running around somewhere, I'm sure. Or Johnny's. We know about the John, you know. So. I need them all the time. Yep, okay. So no no problem with the Enoch thing. This is a different Enoch. Um, but Cain had been sentenced, or you can say condemned to restlessness. That's the idea. I mean, you know, in some senses, I'm sure with that condemnation, it almost rather just died, you know. But um, this restlessness um, is what he's condemned to. God allowed him to live. And God does that um, sometimes, where there are people that deserve death and His mercy holds them back and He's going to use them for some other reason. You know, He could have destroyed Satan for what He did, or Lucifer, right? But He didn't do that. He used him for a reason. Uh, and God allows him to... And it's interesting. When you, when, when you know God's ways, it, it starts making sense a little bit. He allowed him to actually repopulate or to populate the earth. Of course, it's the ungodly line, but that's that's fascinating. Uh, from Cain comes an ungodly line, but still, yet you see the blessings of God here. Uh, the mercy of God, the patience of God, is incredible with what Cain had done, and now you see what these people do, and he's going to wait for a long time and even give a warning of 120 years from Noah uh, to, to them. But he blesses the people, and I think we can probably uh, term this common grace. You know, there's a saving grace for his own, but there's a common grace that is to everybody. And um, that's the way I would term it here. Sometimes there are people that have trouble with that terminology and say God doesn't have any grace on anybody that's not uh, His. But I, I think He does. I think there is a mercy. I think there's a common grace. Not saving, but uh, to allow them to live on this earth, to eat of the food, to drink of His water, to breathe the air. And not only that, then they get to enjoy all of creation just as much as we do. I think we have more reason to enjoy, but sometimes the unbeliever can enjoy the things of the earth just as much as a believer. They can go out there and look, and as a matter of fact, they can be gardeners and just adore the great uh, flowers and colors, everything that's happening there. Uh, all the necessities, you know, they're, they're given, all those things uh, to enjoy life with. Um, 
you know, he could have made the, everything the same color, uh, like the earth, brown. That'd been it. You know, here, here's what you got. Just, just be thankful that you're living. <laughs> no, he gives us all this vast array, and so believers and unbelievers can enjoy that alike. Uh, all of man was made in the image of God, right? Uh, and although the image was marred, there's a defacing there, and it's still there. There's so many things that man can do today, believer, unbeliever, and they can be very creative. Many unbelievers are are just amazingly creative. The problem is they don't recognize where it comes from. They're not thankful to God for that. Reminds me of Romans one, right? They're not thankful to God. They but believe the garden while ago and said, "Yes, when I come, they see all that beauty, and they think they had something to do with it." Yeah, they think they, they were... take kind of credit for it, right? Man-centered. What are you going to do, right? Yeah. Uh, so, but really, what they're doing is reflecting the Creator, and we can say, "Oh, look, look, look what God has really talented them with. Look at look at the gifts, the abilities they have." But they don't recognize it. I, I've seen some of the just tremendous musicians, you know, doing some just crazy things on guitar that I, you know I'm overwhelmed by, you know. And God gifted that guy, but thing is, the guy doesn't know the Lord, so. But, you know, sometimes I go, wow, I wish I could do that. (laughs) Why did did he have that? You know, why don't I have it? Yeah, I could be. I could turn that into an idol, maybe, you know. Isn't that one of the commandments? Not to covet? It's a very tenth one. And isn't that what you do? Well, I hope... Uh, I don't. I got to stop that. <laughs> that Paul uh, came to the Lord because of that commandment. As a matter of fact, he saw that he was coveting. And do you suppose once he saw it, he never did it again? No. He might have battled with it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaking of the commandments, um, I think another thing that speaks about God in this um, is that um, He hadn't given the law against mm. murder yet. And um, even though there was a sin committed, it wasn't it wasn't considered a transgression. You know, he didn't go over any law that was given by God yet on that on the murder. And and later on, we know he's going to give the law. Yeah. Uh, we know that um, he he definitely uh, he knew he committed sin. He was not remorseful, repentant, yeah. repenting well, of it. That's but that's the thing. Even though the law wasn't specifically given. They knew it was wrong. <laughs> yeah, but from God's standpoint, He didn't judge him against something that wasn't there that He hadn't told. That's a good point, point. And, and I think He's there's 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 not a human government yet. Yeah, that's not been established. That's going to be after the flood, and then He's and then then we know then uh, even without even before the Mosaic law, then we're going to see that uh, He's going to put that forth too. He's going to issue, yeah. but. Um, yeah, I think it's not until after the flood when God even addresses uh, blood for blood or you know, something yeah. like that. Man's and He didn't want people to take revenge. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, there's... Like, right before you know, we came. I have a question. You started out the two humanities were opposite ends of the pole. One was ungodly and one was godly. This was before the flood, right? Yeah. And you're saying there's billions of people... Well, by the time we get to that. So the people that were godly all... Godly. Well, a lot, of them, a lot of them died out. There were godly people all during that time. Uh, 
do they get swallowed? That line, there was only eight left that were passed. Well, if you got no one in his family. And how all that works out, I don't know. I'm sure a lot of them had died. Even Methuselah, you know, uh, had died. I think that meant in the year of the flood, some people have pointed out. Uh, have I got that right? And that, that was, his name meant something. And, and I think he died within that year. He was a, uh, in that godly line too. How that worked out, I know, uh, I do know that if, if this, let's just take it to us. If the United States gets judged, and it certainly deserves to be judged, we as Christians could be taken out of that. Yeah, I mean, we, he could do that, or he could leave us right in here, couldn't he? We could be taken uh, in a judgment, although we're not judged. We, we die, but as soon as we die, where will we go to be to be with the Lord? So that could happen to. The... There's a lot of different thoughts on this. I, I I've always thought. I imagine a lot of them were were already dying out, and it had begotten had become so evil it was like with everybody. The godly line was, you know, had even died out. You know, not everybody in that godly line were believers. And it's just like in the nation of Israel. Even though God chose the nation to work through, not everybody. There's always the remnant, you know, just because they're in that family, not all of them are going well, to be believers. Thing, yeah. If you're figuring that, like, billions of people could have died in the flood, that would, you know, the godly line had really took a big hit because there was only eight left. Yeah. Yeah. And well, a lot of times I think we... It looks like because in chapter 6 at verse 5 it says and the Lord looked and saw that all mankind was only always continually evil. Only... Always all only was, continually. All mankind was only... All, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Yeah. Noah. One guy. He granted him grace <laughs> with all those people. And then his family. Yeah. That's incredible, isn't it? That's how wicked. It was so bad it had to be destroyed. Well, and if we didn't have Christ, I mean, look at what the nation of Israel did time after time. If we didn't have the Holy Spirit, if we didn't, we'd be doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, we would. I mean, look at the billions of people in the world that are lost. And you, you know that's the right way to look at this. I could have been one of the. I could have been born. I could have been in that ungodly line. <coughs> you know, or I could be in one right now. There is a godly line still. You know, being being. And even people, Christian people, trying to raise with their children in this. I mean, imagine what it was like then with no Holy Spirit, no Christ to turn to, and and they're trying to raise with their children in their godly experience and. Those kids don't want to do that. They want to do what these guys are doing. Sure, it's a natural so, way. Yeah, and so, I mean, the transition would have been quick to to the self instead of God. Quick. So, the moral of this story, by the way, whenever I, and, and I know you didn't take it literally, I, I, stress, I, I said, you know, there could be billions. I don't know that. So don't say, don't go out and tell your kids. Now, Dennis said there was like 10 billion people before the flood. Okay. No, I have those, but there still would have been, you know, hundreds yeah. There were a lot of people, well, weren't there? What I'm saying yeah. is that if you right. think about the lines they were talking there about, there was a godly one and one wasn't. Exactly. And I just started thinking in the flood world, and it was only people left, I was just... You're right. Okay. There was a lot of... Now, on this whole godly line thing, you said there's still one going. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, what does that all mean? 
because he granted Noah grace. Noah was part of the Godly line. So if you're not part of this line... You think, okay, that, that's it for the ungodly line. Now everything's going to be godly, right? <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Well, I, I'm looking at, apparently there's some sort of line, and I want to make sure I'm in the right line. Hallelujah. Whoa, I'm over here in the wrong line. That's exactly the way we need to look at it. But it's not like the line of our ancestors, though, either. Right. Like Jesus Christ, that's right okay. Okay. That that was a little more explanatory than what he. <laughs> well, and and Penny said it. Well, I go. It was by grace. Right. He was highly favored, for instance. And all this does is said, "Hey, we believe in election, don't we?" That's what's going on right here. Well, and even you at know? that, Noah and his family. Grace, but right after the flood. What happened in that family? Just because you come from that family, and here we go again. And here we are today. All right. When we go through this, you're going to see what is a highly developed society. I'm telling you, this is not caveman material here. <laughs> He's not coming out of the caves. These people are coming out of cities, and you see the inventions they're doing. Now, Cain, uh, let's start with Cain. He's a rebel. He hates God. He loves sin. He was a wanderer. He's in the land of wandering. He's been sentenced to do wandering. He's still doing that, but he's he's going to try to reverse the curse. And he's going to settle down with a wife. But it's not going to be completely settling down. He's going to be among people. And the more, you know, if he can be among people and, you know, build this city, he's going to feel more comfortable. And he's not going to feel so alone out there. So he's got a wife and a family, you know, coming up here. Uh, and that's going to resolve the problem. You know, he's, he's in a, a destitute condition. And uh, so, you know, he's left the presence of God. That's, uh, can you think of anything worse than being out of the presence of God? You're outside looking in. And, but he didn't want it. And uh, so, because he rejected forgiveness, he rejected the very fellowship of God of what was was at that time. Forgiveness, truth was there, and and he rejected it. He was doomed. He was damned. That's that's really what it was. So, in the whole line mentioned from 17 to 24, you will not see God mentioned. Now, maybe in a name there is, but. Uh, there's good reason why God is really not uh, playing a, a, a key role there. Uh, it goes with all people who do not recognize God, who don't want the presence of Him. God has no place in secular culture. Secular culture has no place for Him. The schools don't want Him. Any kind of institutions don't want Him. The government doesn't want Him. And so they just throw Him out. And so in our time... That's really what has happened. They have just thrown him out of everything. Cain winds up marrying, it has to be a sister or maybe a sister's daughter. You know, Who knows? It doesn't say, but it has to be a relation. There wasn't anybody else, and all of a sudden, we don't know when that was, how long that took. 
uh, Adam and Eve are having uh, children. They had daughters, but it doesn't mention it that. But it had to be as Cain takes a wife. Otherwise, where else they come from? I don't see any problem with that at all. You guys don't either, right? Some people will uh, say, "Well, see, the Bible's wrong here." And how could he have done that? If there's, uh, you know, there's no other people out there. You know, God doesn't show it, so therefore, this is uh, just a fable. <laughs> Uh, can, can, and by the way, isn't that against God's law to marry a sister? Uh, well, later on it will be, but there's no mutant genes at that time. It was okay to do it. God designed it that way. That was His purpose. Uh, he can do that to have interfamily relations. And they did. And as it multiplied on, they were all kind of related. Of course, as it spread out, they were further and further related. And, and as as humanity decayed, and it was already decaying, but you can imagine... As time went on there, then uh, the gene problem really um, became more and more uh, established. And so, uh, and as far as a law, the law doesn't come along until Moses. And God does that for good reason. There are definitely health reasons there and, and of course, uh, children. So that uh, is what God had in mind. Um, so he has Mrs. Cain, I guess we can call her. And they have a son. And this marks the beginning of a very ungodly line that's going to continue to show sinful mankind and they will be ultimately destroyed. And then that uh, another ungodly line will have to be developed again and won't take long. Uh, they have a son. His name is Enoch. And Enoch means initiation. It means inauguration. Uh, it's like a first, a dedication, a commencement. Let's get this thing kicked off. Let's get it going. It's like having an inauguration for the next generation. We have a new generation coming up here. And uh, so Cain has this Enoch. And it says then Cain, uh, he's building a city. And uh, he's going to call the city Enoch after after his son there. The city here means a complex of dwellings or it's uh, dwelling places inside a, a place that's fenced in. I mean, it's a complex where, where people are gathering together to live together. This is the first city ever on earth. You ever thought about that? This is the first city, and we're looking at it right here. We see a lot of firsts, and you don't hear this out in secular history. You will not hear this at all. This is totally foreign to them. It sounds like some kind of uh, Atlanta story or something, you know. And here we go, we're looking at, we've seen a first murder, and now we have a, um, a first uh, first city. Uh, it continues on. Uh, he was building a city. And this implies, from what I gather, and from several different expositors, that it could be as he is building the city, he's not able to finish it. We don't know why. But he is a wanderer. God has assigned him to wandering. Uh, don't know. Uh, but he's trying to mitigate his curse. You know, he's trying to fill the bill here. You know, without God. And uh, so he made some kind of effort to, to settle down with a wife and a family. And he's not completely successful if he's building a city. And the city is named Enoch, even though he names the city after Enoch. Enoch is probably one who went ahead and took on that because, and you can see it throughout Scripture, whenever a city is named after a person, it's that person who was responsible for it. He had ownership. He had the responsibility. He's the one that was 
uh, totally committed to it. So if he's building the city, it wasn't finished. His son comes along and finishes it out. He, and anyway, he, he names it uh, Enoch. Uh, trying to fill in a few lines. I don't want to get into trouble there. Just taking some expositor type notes and thinking, okay, it's worth thinking about. We don't know. Uh, it kind of maybe solves the, the aspect of him. He's supposed to be a wanderer and yet he's settling down, building a city. What happens with him? Yeah. Don't don't want to read in twenty lines. I'm suggesting, I'm sure, but just just a thought. I, I read that a few times from different people. So if you see it once, you go, eh, I don't know. See it a couple times, possibility, still a possibility. We move on. It's okay. Uh, do you believe this is a cave society? Do you believe the, uh, in the Neanderthal man, the, some kind of an ape man? These guys are coming out of the cave. This is the third generation. You have Adam and Eve, and of course Cain and Abel. That's Cain and Abel, second generation. Now Cain has a son. There's your third generation. Third generation after creation. Now we know this could be hundreds of years already. We don't know. But I think it's interesting. This is where people are building cities by the third generation. Boy, that attacks evolution, doesn't it? (laughs) Totally different than what I got. You know, we go from an agrarian society, which is what they were doing, into urbanization. (laughs) It's an urban area. And development really begins to take off right here. As you have city people coming together, uh, it's being developed, and you have other generations now that uh, come after this. In verse 18, now to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad became the father of Mahujael. Mahujael became the father of Methusael. Methusael became the father of Lamech. You like those? I think that through. Now it's interesting. Irad, uh, his name is probably Townsman, Cityman, Townsman of the city. And sometimes when you get in these names, I can't be just straightforward and say absolutely this is what this means because um, we have a language problem and this is before the flood. Um, there's good reason to think that that's what that name means. And some of these other names, you know, we're trying, but you know, what about the Hebrew here? We don't know. Uh, but a townsman, a cityman, maybe this is the beginning of business. When you have people come together and you're in a city... Uh, now you might not be so much into the agrarian society. You might have other businesses start to happen because now you start to see inventions and other things take place. So, kind of fascinating. Uh, Mahujael, uh, and, and by the way, these are three interesting names. Um, and we don't really know what it is. I put what they could mean. I put a question mark. And so when I say this, I, I throw it out there thinking it could mean this, but don't don't call up your daughter tomorrow and say, Dennis said this. Huh? No. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding her. She doesn't do that. Really? Yeah, she's not waiting Johnny? until tomorrow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It'll be on Facebook tonight. <laughs> I can see it now. She probably will now. Mahujael, name could mean, and you got it on your notes there, God blocks out. As you know, as you have a city, you have people mingling together, and you know you have more crime and things happening in a city as it develops. Uh, uh, Methushael, violence of God, possibly. There are other suggestions that people have. Eh. 
you could have a city here. You have a city dweller. Then you have God blotting out. You have an act of violence uh, uh, against it. So you, you can see by the names, there's some kind of flow, a possible flow of iniquity that is really building up as sinful men get together. They do sinful things. And it's escalating. And it's really taking off there. Um, let's get into Lamech. He seems to be the real star of the show as we uh, develop into this. And he gets a little section and then it kind of veers off and then it comes back to him. So he must be a, a key key person here. Uh, he's cultured and he's a killer. And his name could mean, and uh, I, I would say it's pretty good chance it means conqueror, uh, strong, a lot of strength. And just by looking and seeing this character, just by the things he says, that that could be very well be. Uh, he's a self-sufficient man. I think he's a the prototype of the rest of the way of Cain you know, down this line. I think he is the example of the way that a self-made man is. I mean, a a man of pride. He doesn't need God. He's all sufficient. Um, he doesn't have to have faith in God. Anything that is um, needs to be done, he can take care of it. He's got it. He's got it covered. Self-made man. Well, here's another first. He's the first polygamist. And that's happening now. We've seen murder and uh, now we see polygamy going on. Man was really made to be monogamous. And I stress that. Because a lot of people say, well, you know, there's a lot of people in the Bible, they had a lot of wives. And of course, the Mormons, you know, they, they believe in that, but they kind of keep it under the, the cover. And if you study them, they, you know, they, out in Utah, even though legally they can, are only supposed to have one wife, uh, you find out that they have many, many wives. And uh, that happens quite frequently. Uh, sisters, they can be. Um, man was meant to be monogamous. How do we know? Well, we just go back to chapter uh, chapter 2, verse 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Right there is uh, simple enough. Uh, a man leaving his father and mother, joining with his wife. They're one. Those two are one. That's what God put forth. That's what He established. We have to ask here, That's what's, what's society doing here? What's going on in society? Look at this guy. He's, he's got two wives now. That's the first time it's ever happened. And there's a lot of people probably by this time. Okay, you think of the father of the Jews. What's his name? Abram? Abram you know, had a handmaiden, Right? Well, where did that get him? You get a whole nation that uh, opposed Israel. You have the Arabs. <laughs> and it still is. goes on today. Well, we think of uh, Jacob. Jacob, Rachel, Aaliyah. Two wives. What a deal, right? Uh, boy, did that create problems. Multiple wives. David. Wives. King David, man after God's own heart, must have been okay. Um, well, David actually committed murder, you might as well say, right? And adultery and polygamy. Uh, it, God is not saying it was the right thing to do. We just see 
God just tells the truth. Here's the thing in the Bible. Man wouldn't be telling this thing on him if he wrote it. All the, I mean, this is a soap opera in here. And, you know, I mean, it, there are a lot of things that happen in here that are X-rated. And right in Genesis. Did somebody say something? Um, I think the consequences, as you look in Scripture, are vast when, when you see the polygamy, though. They, they pay the consequences. Oh, did they? Oh, did David? Oh, did Solomon? Go on and on. Okay, um, two are named here after uh, uh, Lamech uh, has, uh, or uh, his wives, I'm sorry, uh, Ada and Zillah, right? Uh, Ada means beauty, ornament, get in the picture. And then Zillah means a shade. It's a nice place to be, what have you. Anyway, we're talking, um, I think, probably this Lamech, being prideful as he was, I'm sure that he would take and boast of the most beautiful women. Could be. Possibility. Uh, We know he's a boaster, and he's very arrogant. So what we're going to do is we're going to drop down... (coughs) Forget a couple of verses or so and then come back. And we're going to break our rules that we usually have. Go to verse 23. Lamech said to his wives. Now it's interesting that he's mentioning it to them. This guy's a poet. This is really good poetry. It's uh, very offensive. But um, look at his attitude here. Ada and Zillah, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. He's not afraid to uh, be a macho man here, right? I mean, this, this guy, as far as he's concerned, this is it. This is superiority of man over God. Uh, because he said, okay, if God uh, talks about the sevenfold, it's going to be 77 fold for me. Now, that's interesting. That 70, 70 times 7 kind of reminds you of something, doesn't it, in the New Testament? Forgiveness, right? This is speaking of revenge, which is the opposite. Isn't that interesting? I wonder how that came to be. <laughs> A bold statement as he wrote poetry here, as he wrote uh, kind of a song or what have you. Boasting man. Arrogant. I think he is a very type of the way that man likes to be today without God. Very prideful. Um, there are boys that now are mentioned. Um, let's go back to verse 20. Gave birth to, uh, Ada gave birth to Jabal. <coughs> he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. We get a Pretty good detail here, I think. These three boys are highly productive. Very, very productive. They're the boys of Lamech, and he has two wives, so the three come from those two. Their names are subject, uh, suggesting productivity. Jabal, Jubal, and Tubal. It sounds alike, don't they? Well, they're related. Those names are related. Uh, I think God is providing some wonderful things as He works through this ungodly line, even all the awful sin that is of mankind, God still allows 
some of these great things to happen here. And Jabal, it's interesting, his name means it could mean wanderer. Uh, and I think that's what it means because as we look to see that he is the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. He's the one that started the... Uh, he's the inventor of tents and the nomadic lifestyle with herdsmen. So you get animal domestication right here. And that's a highly developed science. As time went on, they had the advantage and the benefits of living hundreds of years, remember? And, and if you could have all the knowledge of somebody and they're not really getting old and losing their mind, <laughs> as I point to me, you could build on that. Look at all the experience and look at all the knowledge you have. And so as they would do that, they knew about breeding and feeding and skinning. Who knows? I, I don't know. It doesn't say they were killing the animals and eating the meat. God finally t- says after the flood to do that, but some suggested they could have been doing that. Don't know. Don't have to push that. But they knew about those kind of things. They had to have as, as they had these livestock. You can say, well, they couldn't have known those kind of things back then. Well, as, believe me, I think they had tremendous minds might have been better than our mindset. We'll say maybe the same kind of minds. And even though you know sin has affected, um, maybe uh, maybe we don't have uh, some of the the greatest greater benefits that uh, that they had. Maybe they used their minds a little bit more. They say that we. I often heard that it was ten percent of our minds that we use, but now I've heard that it's one percent. Is it one percent? Three percent. All right, we're getting there. I don't know how they come up with that, but now see you got me fired up. What do you have to know? What do you have to know before you can determine a percentage? I don't know. What's the first thing you have to know? You have to know the whole. So what's the whole, right? Jerk that has uses the whole brain. That's the point. And the Germans, I'm only using ten. So you got ten percent, one percent, then three percent. I'm using everything I got here. <laughs> Could we say this? But this is, you know, what you're saying. If if these people are living like seven hundred years, right? I mean, look at the knowledge that we gain in our measly little 50, 60, 70 years. And by that time, some of it is going bad. Trying to go back, yeah. But suppose you had all of that, and it didn't go bad, and you had ten times that. I mean, then you got some smart. Well, that's knowledge. Start planning things. Yeah, you know, you have. I mean, you know, you don't have to have more brain power. You just got more time. Now, here's the good side of it. With that knowledge, man can do some great things. He's doing it here. This is animal domestication they have going on. Animal husbandry is what that's called, right? This is fantastic, man. This is this is super. Yeah, they built the tents and everything, and moving around. He's dwelling around different places. But with man's knowledge, everything that he comes up with, with his sin, what is he going to do with these great uh, technology inventions, right? And so it goes. Man has done it with those inventions and all the way up to our time. We can see it and we can say, hey, look at all the different stuff we have now and look how we can further the gospel. That's the way that I try to think of it. <laughs> what can I do to the, you know, use this to get this, this out? But a man who doesn't know God, what's he going to do it for? 
to his, his own self. He, you know, it's going to be to gratify his own self, his desires. So J Ball, you got Jew Ball, and that name is interesting. It uh, evidently means sound. Ah. Hey, musicians. He's the inventor of musical instruments. I mean, this is incredible. We get it right here. Where do musical instruments come from? Right here in the Bible. Right here in Genesis 4. Wouldn't the world be sadder if there wasn't music? What would it be like if there, you could never turn on music? Never sing? Didn't have any, And God meant music to be created. And He meant it for really one thing, to give glory to Him. All of this, animal husbandry, is to give glory to God. And and as we go on to the next one, metallurgy and you know, on all the all that stuff, you know, he put it into the earth, and he and he equipped people to be able to invent these and to have that kind of thinking, that enjoyment. Um, what a beauty of music is it, it, just incredible. What uh, what can be done? Um, what a blessing! And and some say these instruments that are listed here, um, the. Uh, you know, I've, what is it? Is that lyre or lyre? Lyre, right? I hate to say lyre, <laughs> musical instrument, and pipe. Uh, some, rather than just just that, it can mean something that is advanced, something like a violin, flutes, something of that nature. We know a lot of the, all the stringed instruments. We think of what David had and harps and such. There were tremendous amounts of just to get different sounds. And uh, you know, God, uh, God loves music. He's the one who came up with the mathematics of it. Can you imagine? To be a musician, you have to be able to have some kind... You're using math whether you like it or not. Did you guys know that? I hate math. Never did good, good at math. But I have to play music. And whether you're operating on a scale, you're still using math. It's called octaves. That, you know, octave eight. Uh, <laughs> you're actually using that when you get into um, the study of music and get into the techniques of that. Uh, blows your mind, but you have musical sounds, you have uh, scales, you have these instruments, and, and this man came up with these. It's incredible. How do you all of a sudden develop animal husbandry and then it, it operate all of that, and and then you have this this music like this? This takes a genius to do this, do you know but God what, equips them to do, do it. Do you know a lot with the flute and a lot of the things that you talk about string instruments? Do you know the first strings are used from intestinal organs from animals? The high, the high pitch sound, and the same thing with the flutes or through the bones. Fascinating. Very good. Of course, the wind instruments were the horns. Lamb's horns, probably to start with. And stuff. <laughs> to make those. How about bronze and iron? Well, two ball cane. You know what his name is? The hammerer. Hammers that stuff out. Uh, metallurgy is what this is. This is incredible. Uh, right here in uh, early, early in the history of mankind. Boy, this blows away evolution. Christian evolutionist, come on. Uh, metallurgy, it, it's a great science. It's a skill. It's a science. And, and it demands a tremendous power. He's called the hammer. Um, 
it, you have to get the raw material first to be able to get this, don't you? You gotta find it to make the bronze and you iron. Figure out what it does. Let's yeah. go to to the Bible and let's get the answer to that one, Penny. Thank you for doing that. We we figured this out before we talked beforehand on this. No, that that's good. Let's go to Job chapter twenty eight, and we'll probably finish up on on this right here. I think this is fascinating. Oh, this is beautiful. Now, Job probably it is stated by many that he lived before the flood. Possibility. But at any rate, look at this. This is all truth here. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place where they refine gold. Iron is taken from the dust and copper is smelted from rock. Man puts an end to darkness and to the farthest limit he searches out. The rock in gloom and deep shadow. He sinks a shaft far from habitation. Forgotten by the foot. No foot's been there. They hang and swing to and fro far from men. The earth from it comes food. And underneath it is turned up as fire. Its rocks are the source of sapphires. Oh, penny. <laughs> and its dust contains gold. The path no bird of prey knows. They don't even know that. Nor has the falcon's eye caught sight of it. The proud beast have not trodden it, nor has the fierce lion passed over it. He puts his hand on the flint. He overturns the mountains at the base. What? He hews out channels through the rocks. And his eyes sees anything precious. He dams up the streams from flowing. What is hidden he brings out to the light. <coughs> Do we have some kind of dynamite happening here? Do we have channels being shut? We have, we have shafts that go deep down into the earth. I think man was very intelligent. Very strong, very powerful at, at this time. We would think we were the only ones that came up with that. We are the smartest ones ever in the history of mankind. Mankind is evolving. No, mankind is going the other way. <laughs> He's sinful. It's still there. But wow. Look at the raw material. They go in there and you know, there's, the, there's the silver, there's the gold, iron taken from the dust, co- uh, dust copper smelted from rock. Man puts an end to darkness. There's some kind of light that they're able to put into this, these shafts, down deep into these shafts, where they can see. You'd have to, right? The rock in gloom and deep shadow it sinks a shaft. And it's far from habitation. It's not anywhere close to the cities. <laughs> they have to go places a long way away. They have to go and find this. And then they start making things out of it. This is early in the history of mankind. This is incredible. If you study evolution, you're going to get the Stone Age. The Stone Age from 100,000 B.C. to somewhere around 4,000 B.C. covers a long time. Man was in the Stone Age, right? Yeah, Fred Flintstone. Now, all people did there, they just messed around with rocks. That's... But there's better rocks, aren't there? Right. Yeah. Then comes what they call the. Anybody know what that next age is? I never could pronounce it. Do you know what it is? It. Chalcolithic. Anybody know? That that went from 4000 BC to 3200 BC. 
next one is the Bronze Age. Heard of that, right? 3200 B.C. to 1200 B.C. Ah, now you're getting into the biblical times. And then you have the Iron Age, and that's from 1200 B.C. to 330 B.C. Matter of fact, uh, David had to fight the Philistines who had, they had instruments and tools and weapons. And, and, you know, but this Iron Age has been around a long time. And here we got bronze and iron together. Yeah, Iron Age, and then uh, the Bronze Age before that. But right here, it's this is in the very early in in man's history. Uh, but they have it spread out over what hundred thousand years? Hundred thousand years, and this is within a space a of a. It's getting a lot longer than hundred thousand. A lot longer. This is one guy who did it all. <laughs> Yeah. There's just one period of time here. Uh, and it lasted eh, 1,600 years, give or take. Who knows? Um, but they worked, they worked with stone. They worked with bronze during that time. They worked with iron. They had music. They developed cities. They created agriculture and livestock. They populated the planet. That's what the Bible says. Yeah, people became civilized. This is a civilization, uh, urbanized. They 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 were fed. They were clothed. They they entertained themselves. They were they actually comforted and protected. God God is all in this. And then criminal activity. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Because no one was civilized when you got criminals. That's right. Well, uh, what happened to Lamech? You know, hey, somebody just t- lays a hand on him. I'll, I'll tell you what, if it's a kid, I'll kill him. You know, and I'll get away with it too. <laughs> would you say this would could possibly be a very highly developed society, even despite sinful man? God allowed that to happen. He allows inventions to happen today, which can be used for good. Our our bodies are instruments. In Romans six, it says they're instruments of righteousness but they can be used for unrighteousness. So anything can either be good or bad. When the television came in, there really wasn't much anything else at the time. There was a radio and maybe a few cars, you know, had you know, people have driving cars and such, but there really wasn't much. Right? But when people heard, oh, that TV, oh, that that could be sinful, you know, and they were really concerned. Well, well, they're true. You know, you look at it today and most things on there are sinful. But there are things on there that can be really good. And last week, even though I watched it through internet, I put it on our uh, bigger screen TV so I could watch a, a, a conference, you know. <laughs> the Shepherds Conference. And, and uh, there are a lot of good things that come on TV. And as a matter of fact, you can enjoy watching MU play uh, this week, Friday at three forty, and enjoy that. And take it in because that's you know, isn't that nice? You know, we we ha- and they're going to be all the way up in Omaha, Nebraska, and we'd be right here, and, and it's not going to cost us anything, and and sitting in a free seat. And those people are paying how much, Eldon? Three fifty. Three fifty a seat. A lot of worship in the room. 
Anyway, it's neat, but God provides, but at the same time, a sinful man, what he can do with instruments and tools, but God allowed all that to happen, and he made it happen. He gave them the uh, the stuff to do it with, and he gave them the talents. And isn't it amazing that a God, and even though he's not really mentioned in here, really straight up front, and they were giving him glory, like the next two verses will show, still yet, he used them to get his purpose done. That's incredible. I guess that's what I take out of it. Anyway, oh, it's 8.05. Time to stop.